what to make of the nuclear deal with Iran. Is it about Obama's legacy, or is it a strategy in the grand chess game? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And the big news this week is a deal struck between Iran and six countries, the U.K., Uh, The U.S., France, Germany, Russia, and China. The idea is that uh, Iran's nuclear enrichment program will be uh, greatly diminished. And in return, the sanctions that the U.N. imposed on Iran uh, in response to its nuclear fuel er enrichment program would be lifted. So that's the... uh, that's the purpose of the deal. It's caused a lot of commotion here, a lot of conflict between the Democrats and the Republicans. And a lot of times I think that those conflicts are um, like partisanship, a lot of drama, not really, as, they're really not as far apart as they act like. But in this case, I do think that it reflects very different priorities between the Republicans and the Democrats. And I'm going to get into that. Uh, Let me just tell you in a nutshell what the key provisions of this deal are. The, uh, The first big thing is that the Iranians will reduce their nuclear material stockpile by 98%. So they won't have enough fuel to even um, make one weapon, if they had the technology or the will to make a weapon, they would not have the fuel for it. They are going to limit their enrichment capacity to uh, enriching to a level of 3.67%, which is pretty low, down from their current maximum enrichment capacity of 20%. And just for reference it takes about 85 percent enrichment to make a nuclear weapon and they usually get that from spent fuel is kind of the starting point of that they will also reduce the number of centrifuges that enrich uranium by 66 percent and they're only going to keep the ones that uh enrich to a lower level this first generation reactor uh that that they're going to be keeping with this lower enrichment level fuel and, uh, and they're going to keep these lower, these first-generation reactors online for 10 years, and they're going to phase them out and get later-generation equipment. But in the meanwhile, their second-generation reactors are going to take offline and kind of put in storage because they require this higher level of enrichment. Uh, they, they are going to be able to continue that R&D, though, for these later-generation reactors. And in return for all that, they are... They're, the sanctions that the UN imposed on them will be lifted according to the agreement in response to making, you know, the steps to actually uh, change their programs for the lower enrichment fuel. So the stated goal of the UN sanctions that everybody agreed to was that, uh, Iran would not enrich uranium to these like 20% or more levels. And this deal supposedly gets them to stop doing that. And that's why those are the sanctions that are being lifted. Whereas U.S. sanctions designed to curtail 
their support of terrorism or human rights abuses, whatever, those would stay in place. So there are two views about this. One, um, the, the, what people say who are against the deal, they say that it's because they'll be able to continue their R&D and 10 to 15 years down the road, they'll be able to restart their program. And it's like uh, somebody posted on my uh, a comment to, I, I made a video preview of the show and somebody posted a, the comment, this is just handing them nukes on a silver platter, which they will use against us. But I think if you really look at what what the a more sophisticated view of the problem is not that that people think this is going to promote the nuclear Iran because it seems to me I mean I read the document and a lot of analysis on the document and it seems to me there's a lot of monitoring and verification and stuff and and that this will at least put the put any nuclear weapons capability they might want to develop on hold so I don't think it's realistic to say that this would not diminish their um, any kind of nuclear weapons potential. I think the real fear from the people who do not want this deal is that it gives Iran, it'll definitely give Iran more economic strength. These sanctions have been in place since 2006. And as, uh, as, as the sanctions have had an impact on Iran, it's really had put a, a strain on their economy. It limited their ability to trade in oil and gas, their ability to use the f- international financial systems. It's, it's just been bad for them. And if they can reaccess those, uh, those um, commercial pathways, they are going to be better off. So that is why um, people are afraid that this will strengthen Iran. And once, if Iran has more economic strength, they will have more influence in the region. And who's afraid of that? Well, Israel, the current leadership in Israel, Netanyahu, uh, really doesn't like Iran because of Iran's support of Hezbollah, which is a, um, a Palestinian organization or supports the Palestinians in the Israel-Palestine conflict. But the Saudi Arabians are even more opposed to Iran uh, having increasing influence over the region because Saudi Arabia really has always wanted to be the only hegemon, they call it. Hegemon is like the the leader. We are, the U.S. is the biggest hegemon in the world, but we're specifically the uh, most powerful country in our region. China is the most powerful country in Asia, so that's their, it's the hegemon there. So Saudi Arabia just wants to be that hegemon, and they don't like any power that Iran might have uh, to influence against them. So that's like the big picture of why I think people are opposed to the Iran deal, not just on a one-to-one correlation like this will increase their nuclear capability. It's really that it will give them influence and economic stability, and, and that will de facto increase their power, and that our allies, Israel and Saudi Arabia, don't like that. But why is Obama doing it? Some people, you know, think he's a traitor. Or I think the biggest theme that you're going to hear is that he's doing it for his legacy. But I don't really buy the legacy thing because I I think it's very clear from the way Obama came to power and the things that he does that he really, he he's like a, a front man. He takes his orders from somewhere above and behind him and that this is in, somebody wants this. 
and it's not for his legacy. And as I looked into it, I noticed that uh, it's it, this comes as a, at a critical time because after you know nine years of sanctions, Iran is going to try to find other ways around this. It's not going to just wait around to see if the West will re-accept them. And they're going to turn a little bit to the east. That's that's what I think is happening now. Recently, Russia. Now, this was not highly publicized, and it was dismissed even by that U.S. spokeswoman Marie Harf as no big deal. But the reality is, Russia was lifting its bans on including Iran in sales of of missile defense systems, anti-aircraft weapons. We don't like that. There was another report that Iran was bartering with them for with Iran for oil, giving them grains and building materials. And barter is something the Western world does not like. They do not want uh, people stepping outside the financial system. So that's a real threat. And also the BRICS countries, Russia, China, are trying to create alternatives to the Western monopoly, really, on financial transactions. So the sanctions might have been diminishing in value. And then there's another effectiveness, I should say. Then there's a, a another layer where I think we are and our ally Saudi Arabia are deliberately depressing the price of oil and gas because it's so bad for Russia. Their budget depends on a pretty high price of oil and gas. And as if Iran reenters this, the energy market, which it's going to, or it's poised to after this, that will um, deal a blow to Russia as its national revenues diminish. And also other energy implications about where pipelines are going to go. If, uh, if Iran is not 100% in Russia's corner, they could be open to negotiating the face of, uh, of future gas pipelines, which can have implications for decades to come. So I feel like this was a, a time where if we, we did not act, we had to make a decision whether to kind of abandon Iran to the east or think of Iran as part of um, maybe our future of reshaping the, the Middle East. And I think that it is genuinely different between uh, the Democrats and the Republicans. And I, I, this is, I, I've noticed this, that the Democrats, and I think it's, it's largely the influence of Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was Carter's national security advisor, but I think Obama described him as his mentor, he was uh, at Columbia when Obama was there. And this guy is of Polish origin, and he's just always hated Russia. He he advocated and promoted the creation of the Taliban, he said, because that's no big deal compared to defeating the Soviet Union. And and he may be right in a geopolitical sense, but his he is 100% focused on Russia. And this kind of reflects that, I think. Whereas I think the Republicans think more about our allies in the Middle East, kind of the smaller scale Israel, Saudi Arabia thing. And that's why they are not ready for this. But I'll tell you my libertarian view. And I want to hear your views. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB, and we're talking about the uh, Iran deal and what that means to us, whether, you know, who's for it, who's against it. I'm going to go to Bill in Athens. Hi, Bill. You're on with Monica. Thank you, ma'am. 
Miss Monica, I just wondered if you heard the news a couple of hours ago that the Grand Ayatollah has given a speech saying that this deal does not change the relationship with the United States, that they have many problems with us, and that they are going to use the money to continue to support Hezbollah. They're going to use the money to support their allies in Pakistan, and they are going to use the money for arms. I I read that. That was actually in the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, So I did read that. Um, Go ahead. Continue. And this is the first week, <laughs> and and we have this to look forward to. I, I don't understand how anyone could be even lukewarm, uh, uh, positive about uh, the outcome of this deal. Well, do and, you? And what, I think the ahead. point is that it gets them, brings them into the fold, so that they diminish their, um, they stop enriching to twenty percent. They're only going to enrich to three point six seven percent. Isn't the point to not to not have them have nuclear weapons? I I do not think that they should be allowed to have any nuclear weapon of any kind, even if we have to go to war with them. But this, I mean, that but that's what this deal is supposed to be affecting, and I think that's the overarching goal, right? Well, you know, I, I ju- I'm just not confident for uh, of our ability to deal with this, uh, the mindset of these people. I feel I just, like if you can't change their mindset, it's good to make sure they don't have nuclear weapons. Yep. So that's that's one of the reasons I feel like. Uh, it's good. This is a, it's a better outcome than the current outcome, I would say, because it does have a lot of uh, mechanisms to monitor and, uh, enforce the terms of not enriching. They, they actually have surveillance equipment on site and the, uh, energy international atomic energy association is going to be able to access these sites. I also think that, it's important to dig into our history with Iran, some of the the things that uh, some of the behind the scenes attitudes and um, uh, statements that have been made about Iran, that it's good to understand that there are nuances to these relationships, to these uh, really huge geopolitical agreements that you can't just dictate always all the terms in your favor. And, and it's possible you might not even want to. So I'm going to get into some of the real nitty gritty of this and get, take more of your calls. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. On News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And we are talking about the Iran deal. This is the deal between um, the six countries, UK, US, France, Germany, Russia, and China, with Iran to lift the UN sanctions the sanctions that were expressly designed to keep Iran from enriching uranium at the 20% level or more. 20% is used for higher, uh, for more advanced reactors, and 85% is needed for a nuclear weapon. And they're going to enrich only under 4%. And they're going to only have their first generation reactors. 
So, and there's a plenty of monitoring and verification. And I think that this deal definitely forestalls Iranian nuclear weapons capacity for at least 10 to 15 years. I, I really, I think that if you actually read the document, you agree with that. So, right, I think you can see that. It's hard to argue that that's not true. So it seems to me the objection is that Iran should not have more power in the Middle East. And I understand that objection, especially from the perspective of our allies, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Israel doesn't like Iran's support of Hezbollah, which is uh, supports the Palestinians, and Saudi Arabia just doesn't want any uh, competitor in the region for influence over the Middle East. And the uh, the Saudi Arabian situation to me is a little uh, less clear because, yes, Iran supports Hezbollah, which is a problem for Israel. But Saudi Arabia supports Al-Qaeda and ISIS in, in Syria and throughout the region. If you think about 9-11, 15 of those 9-11 hijackers were Saudi. Osama bin Laden was Saudi, used Saudi money. So Saudi Arabia is uh, uh, the the terrorism that they support is actually, uh, according to our authorization to use force against the perpetrators of 9-11 and the states that support them, the fact that they have their hands in these organizations that are al-Qaeda or al-Qaeda affiliated is very troublesome to me. So I don't think Saudi Arabia has the moral high ground there. And... As far as Iran's perspective on uh, on where they're coming out, what their justification is, it's easy for us to just see one side, I think, because our media has an agenda. There, There is a reason that we have an alliance with Saudi Arabia. It probably goes back to Kissinger's petrodollar arrangement with them, where the, this country, United States, moved off the gold standard in order, uh, you know, for our own financial depravity, really, and instead made so that our oil, our dollar would still have value, made a deal with Saudi Arabia that they would denominate all oil transactions in dollars and they would take their excess dollars and buy treasuries with them. That keeps our interest rate low and disconnects the kind of inflation we would have from just having this out-of-control fiat currency Uh because there's this outside demand for dollars and an artificially pumped up demand for treasuries. So we have reasons to prefer Saudi Arabia that have nothing to do with uh, the fact that they support terrorism or that they have um, human rights violations. The way they treat women is no better than in Iran. Um, So there's geopolitical factors behind this. And if you really want to scratch the surface i mean i hate to say it can get pretty uh uh machiavellian so i found some clips that have always there there uh have been around for a while they've always really disturbed me and i think they can help us understand one of the, the last caller said oh did you hear the ayatollah said uh, america's still uh, aggressive or we won't stop uh, believing that or viewing them that way. This was in the Wall Street Journal today. And it's also been all over the news. But also in the Wall Street Journal article, they touch on the fact that our history with Iran 
is uh, something that the Iranians should be wary of. We, for example, this is one thing that was talked about in the journal. The there was a democratically elected secular leader in Iran who had the support of the Shah, who was kind of um, not as uh, he wasn't a total autocrat and not a, a guy with complete power back then in the 50s, this Masonic. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He wanted to nationalize the oil companies and BP, British Petroleum's predecessor, was the oil company there. And they, the UK didn't have the strength to topple Masonic, but they went to the US and the US hesitated at first, but then went along with this coup, which killed hundreds of people and took out the democratically elected leader of Iran. And it was a secular, non-religious government. And that's what they had. That's where they were going. And we installed or made more autocratic the Shah, later called the Bloody Shah, the Shah of Iran, who was in power for a long time. And in, in his statements from the 70s were that after he, he kind of started doing the same thing, assuming control of the oil uh, resources for the government over the foreign companies. Now, if the foreign companies bought that oil fair and square and had contracts that should have been upheld in the court of law, then uh, they were in the right. But I think it was not conclusive when it was went to court. And in any case, it's a sovereign country. You really can't overthrow a democratically elected government like that. If, if a company takes a chance in a foreign country that they don't like their laws or can't control their government or whatever, that's the chance you take. And that we can't go in there and use our forces to, to take out the democratically elected leader of that country and kill people in the process for the interests of British Petroleum. But that is what we did. So the Shah said that when he started doing the same thing, basically absorbing the energy companies, they that's when he noticed that the Western powers stopped supporting him. And the Ayatollah, I think it is well established that first Ayatollah was um, trained and protected by various intelligence agencies, including the U.S., in Paris up until the Islamic Revolution in 1979. So I think it's also well established, not only did we take out the democratically elected guy, we took out um, or uh, subverted the Shah as well. And I don't know what happened to that relationship that we had the Ayatollah in there, but there were some screwy things that happened after that. Yes, we supported Hussein in Iraq against Iran and the Iraq-Iran war, but behind the scenes, like through Iran-Contra, we sold Iran weapons. And uh, Israel was supposedly a party to some of that. And even recently, in like 2012, 2013, a story broke that two defense companies in Israel were selling military jet parts to Iran. So I always wonder if there's more to the story than... Um, meets the eye and that uh there are, are there other pieces of evidence i'm going to play a clip by wesley this is wesley clark who was the supreme allied commander of nato i think during kosovo uh, you've probably heard of him he ran for president he's a very high-ranking guy and uh he was a general and he had he had this to say 
about uh, some of the behind the scenes attitudes towards Iran. This is Wesley Clark from around 2007. I think I'll see Wolfowitz. So I called and up there he was available. Scooter Libby came to the door. I met Scooter for the first time and he brought me in and uh, I said to Paul, I said, and this is 1991, I said, Mr. Secretary, you must be pretty happy with the performance of the troops in, in Desert Storm. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he said, but, but not really, he said, because the truth is we should have gotten rid of Saddam Hussein and we didn't. And this was just after the Shia uprising in, in March of 91, which we had provoked and then we kept our troops on the sidelines and didn't intervene. And he said, but one thing we did learn, he said, we learned that we can use our military in the region, in the Middle East, and the Soviets won't stop us. He said, and we've got about five or ten years to clean up those old Soviet client regimes. Syria, Iran, Iraq, before the next great superpower comes on to challenge us. So I think that clip from Wesley Clark demonstrates that there's more of geopolitics in this. There are some provocations that we don't aren't aware of from the mainstream media and that it's it, we might want to look at it more pragmatically as to what is really in our long-term interests and uh, and that maybe it's understandable that they're cynical. I am going to go to Chris. Hi Chris, you're on with Monica. Well, first thing, you were spot on with that last five-minute segment. I've always sort of thought of it that way. Uh, but in terms of the deal itself, obviously, I don't know the nuances. But I would agree that the overarching deal is good for us. If it limits Iran's nuclear ability for the next 10 to 15 years, keeps your coalition together so that if they do violate it, it snaps right back in place. And it allows the people to have some prosperity. They're less likely to rely upon a dictator to tell them everything to do than they are to gravitate more towards freedom. Yes, you co-opt them. You get them committed to, to being part of the international community. Absolutely. And, and the Persian people in history have always been great traders. They want to be a part of an international community. I just think that they got uh, backwards with this whole, you know, underground whatever ever happened between us and Iran and the Soviets and Syria and all that other stuff that went on that we will never really be fully privy to. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that the other thing is that when you have this outside antagonistic power, that could be why the Ayatollah is like, they're still antagonistic towards us because that unites the people behind the government against the outside force. It's like a common enemy. But if they lose that lever, then uh, maybe the people themselves won't be as desperate to have this uh, uh, an antagonistic government. So the very good conversation. Lots more. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. A seven on the Mellish meter today. 90 degrees outside the studio. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate, the official air conditioning of summer. And also, don't forget that the uh, WSB Carathon starts Monday. It supports the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorder Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. 
And it has raised over $13 million for the Affleck Cancer Center. It starts first thing Monday morning. And actually, I'm going to participate in it with uh, the great Dave Baker uh, at midnight. I'm going to call into his show midnight, Monday night, Tuesday morning, whatever, the end of the day, Monday. So if you want to tune into that, last year we had some uh, real fun with that. And it and we wove it into the weekend shows uh, so there might be a little tidbit in there for, for you to hear. So tune into that and get ready to make a donation because there really is no better cause than that carathon. We are talking uh, now about the Iran deal. I think that it's more nuanced than we are led to believe. I found some of the reporting absolutely so skewed so uh, downright misleading i mean even in the wall street journal which you would think would be forced to have higher standards i actually read an article last week and the next day looked to see if it had changed it in the corrections section because reading the article it said was just very misleading about Um, it said that they would phase out, that the deal would have Iran phase out its oldest nuclear reactors, which it was going to do anyway, implying that it would leave its newer reactors online. But in fact, it takes the newer reactors completely offline, and it it makes them use the older ones, and it phases it out over time. But I actually read the whole darn document because I just couldn't believe my eyes that it would be so misleading. That's what made me think there's really more to this story than just, oh, it gives Iran nukes. It does not give Iran nukes. I think that if really all you care about is what the sanctions are stated to be there for, Iran enriching uranium, this agreement achieves that goal. But there are other geopolitical considerations. So that's what we're going to talk about. I have some explosive clips, some great calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.